They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, what are you going to do on Sunday nights now that Succession is over? Erin, I have been thinking about this since Sunday night at 10.35 p.m. East Coast time when the show was over. I think I'm just going to go back to going to bed at my normal time, which is 9 o'clock on a Sunday. I don't, <laughs> I don't think I should try to fill the void. I think that I should just cut my losses and go to bed. It's sort of like when you end a relationship and the ending is kind of like painful. You shouldn't try to immediately get out there and date. No, no. And also, I'm not going to like stay up past my bedtime for Che Diaz. Like when Sex and the City (laughs) comes back on slash just like that, I will just watch that on Mondays as is appropriate. Okay. Well, my Sunday nights are going to be devoted to outlining a new show that is about Tom surrounding himself with Carolina and Jerry as his two right-hand ladies. And uh, yeah, it'll sort of be like girl boss succession, you know? Yes. Yeah. Tom needs flotation devices more than anybody else who's been on that show. Right, because Shiv was never like going to be the girl boss of succession. She never never could have been. She is the Betty Draper. Now we're mixing in a whole bunch of other. She's now the Betty Draper. Shit, we're coming up with our own new show. Okay, awesome. This week, we're joined by Samantha B., Dr. Chanda Prescott-Weinstein, and Hallie Kiefer to take on the following questions. What's the mess in Texas? What stopped Sam B. from a life of crime? Has the ultimatum queer love spelled the beginning of the end of heterosexual reality dating shows? And is AI a scam? All this and more right now. All right. Welcome to Hysteria, the podcast you can scream to. I mean, I guess you could scream to any podcast, but ours is probably going to feel more more cathartic. Yeah. We're with you when you scream. Uh, yes. Okay. So, Alyssa, you know that uh, I am a big proponent of paying attention to what's going on in states, as are you, yes. because that's where the action is. I think one of the states where things happen under the radar a lot of times, despite the fact that they Im- directly impact millions and millions of people, Texas. There is no Texas. There is no major media center in Texas, although there's some media that operates out of Dallas. Generally, it's not New York or L.A. And so a lot of times what's happening in Texas state level politics is something that people who are national audiences tuning into, you know, CNN aren't necessarily getting news about. And so uh, over Memorial Day weekend, there was huge news out of Texas that was months in the making. And I am kind of regretting the fact that the national media was not following this the whole time because it's fucking awesome. But you know who has been following it? We have. We have because we hate, we fucking hate everyone involved. This is a fuck this guy of epic This is like a dog pile of fuck this guy subjects, right? And they're all fighting and it's glorious. It is glorious. Okay, over Memorial Day weekend, the Texas House, which is run and been dominated by Republicans, um, overwhelmingly voted to impeach Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, who is... So corrupt, 
so like the guy was so corrupt indicted for securities fraud at one point and still won re-election because that's the chokehold that the Republican Party yep. has in the state of Texas. Attorney General Ken Paxton is a sort of person that you're look, I don't want to be mean, but this is he's a dick. Uh he, you look at him and you're like, I don't trust a word that comes out of this person's mouth. He looks like a lawyer from the back of a bus, you know? He does. And and Aaron, when you think, if you're like the average American and you're like, politicians are corrupt, and you are and you ask, well, what, what crimes do you think they do? He literally ticked every single box you could come up <laughs> He's with. He's done all the crimes. He is now- sus- He's done all the crimes. He's suspended from his office uh, pending the actual trial, and he's going to be put on trial in front of the Texas Senate for bribery, abuse of office, and obstruction of justice. Those things sound kind of like white collary, but when you read into the things that he was- uh, obstructing and abusing and why he was bribing people and for what. It's really juicy. It includes a mistress. Of course there's a mistress. Yes. Right? This yes, is the first time an impeachment like this has happened in Texas since 1975. Mm. Yeah. And it's bipartisan. Everyone's tossing this guy out. Everyone's like, stop besmirching our office. Except for his wife, who um, is a state senator. Except Wait, can we please talk about this nut nut, okay? So his wife, state senator. So as his uh, as this process uh, progresses, she will ultimately be one of the jurors in his impeachment trial as she is a state senator. He helped raise her gobs of money. She narrowly won her seat. This is my fave. One, she's been in charge of like approving and voting on his budgets. Mm, okay. But when she first came to office, this was what her little her uh, her like campaign slogan, like what her little moniker is. I'm a pistol packing mama and my husband sues Obama. What a wordsmith. We need him. And the best is she's standing by his side and he cheated on her. He's been accused of not only did he cheat on her, but he got his mistress a job. That was where they thought he crossed the line. Oh, my God. Uh, state of the par- party of family values, ladies and gentlemen. But listen to this. The vote to adopt the articles of impeachment against Ken Paxton, 121 <laughs> to 23. Those are those are numbers that look, I'm I'm no mathematician, but those numbers seem bad for him. Yeah. Um, it was really bad in Texas. So I uh, talk about succession being gone and missing like our show about like intrigue and backstabbing a succession style show about Ken. The downfall of Ken Paxton would be fascinating because this investigation that the House was doing into Paxton uh, was happening in secret since March. So since Uh-oh. March. Yeah. Since March. They were kind of secretly looking into all of his, like, what you know, tomfoolery, to put it lightly, um, <laughs> and uh, nincompoopery, legal nincompoopery. Um, and they uh, they were all working on this in secret. Meanwhile, he's the most powerful attorney in the state. He's the AG. Um, last week, we sort of got some weird rumblings from the Texas State House where things are always, like, a little bit weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a video that came to light and went, viral on social media. And on one of the days that I hosted What a Day last week, we talked about it because it was so bizarre. The um, the Speaker of the House of Texas was filmed appearing to be extremely intoxicated while mm. uh, presiding over a Friday night session. Um, Paxton called for him to 
be removed from office or resign as a result of the video, which people were like, hmm, that's really weird. They're in the same party. What's going on here? Also, don't people show up to work drunk at the Texas state legislature like all the time? I mean, I saw is this par for the course? Yeah, I saw people in Texas media saying like, yeah, people kind of like are drunk in the Texas legislature. That's kind of okay. Not you know what? Not my state. I'm not trying to California your Texas, but I would say like (laughs) showing up drunk to your job as a legislator might be suboptimal. But regardless, Paxton called for him to be removed from office uh, or to to resign from office. And Mm. chatter started that actually the reason he wants him to resign is because he's got some dirt on Paxton. Turns out he Mm -hmm. did. And here we are. Um, President former President Trump, who is close buddies to Paxton. I mean, Uh, he can't help but get involved. I could have guessed Whatever. Uh, Trump is upset and sticking his nose in this because why not? Um, He he blasted the impeachment as an attempt to unseat the most hardworking and effective attorney general and thwart the large number of American patriots who voted for Paxton. Trump vowed to target any Republican who supported impeaching Paxton. Chill. Well, seems to be 120. He's only got 20 people who agree with him right now. So, okay. Okay. And then here's another wild thing. This is why I'm like, should I be following more Texans? Because this is very, I missed out on, if you were not following this while it was happening in real time, you really missed out on a really fun, entertaining shit show that will be ongoing. But it really mm-hmm. re- reached ahead last week. 90 minutes into the debate about whether or not to impeach Paxton, the official Twitter account of the Texas AG started tweeting at members of the committee <laughs> to challenge claims. Literally proving one of the points against him, which is that people said he used intimidation and used to call down to members on the floor and, like, bully them into voting on things he wanted them to vote on. Yeah. Yeah. Um the, at the at the very center of this, just to to give our listeners a a very quick bullet point thing, and I'm sure we'll get mail from email from Texas because sure. I am not fluent in Texan, um, so this is just me, you know, speaking Texan as a third language. Um, so at the center of the impeachment probe were, was Paxton's abuse of office in the service of his political donor and friend, an Austin real estate developer named Nate Paul. Um, In fall 2020, eight top deputies in the AG's office approached the federal and state investigators to report their concerns about Paxton's relationship with Paul. All eight quit or were fired in the following months. (laughs) Uh, Most of the details of the allegations against Paxton were only revealed in the lawsuit by four former executives who claimed they were fired in violation of the Texas Whistleblower Act in retaliation for reporting Paxton to authorities. Uh, Paxton's bid to dismiss the lawsuit is awaiting action by the Fifth Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in Dallas. Uh, Paxton's been accused of engaging in a series of intense and bizarre actions to help Paul, including intervening in an open records case to help Paul get documents from federal and state investigators into the real estate investors' businesses. They also say Paxton uh, directed his agency to intervene in a lawsuit between Paul and a charity. Mm. That's very Trumpy to, like, fuck over So Trumpy. Did they pay for a painting, too? <laughs> a painting of Ken Paxton. Uh, yeah. Looking, you know, that George Washington painting, but with Ken Paxton's face on it. <laughs> um, 
They also pushed uh, a legal opinion to help Paul avoid a pending foreclosure sale on properties. Okay. In return, Paul paid for all or part of a major renovation of a home that Paxton owns in Austin. Uh, Paul also helped Paxton keep an extramarital affair quiet by employing the woman Paxton had been seeing and uh, added that the AG may have been motivated by a $25,000 contribution Paul made to Paxton's campaign in 2018. That's You get all that for $25,000? 25 grand? I mean, my God, is he friends with Clarence Thomas or something? He's getting taking his cues from someone. I mean, but twenty five grand is so cheap. That's like less. I mean, that's less than a hybrid CRV. Like that's yeah. that's not expensive. They got a lot of bang for their buck, and the bang continues. So, uh, fuck you very much to Ken Paxton, and yeah. I also to usually what the Texas Republican Party does, but in this case, you know, Godspeed. Godspeed. Proving proving everybody does have their limits. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Alyssa, we've got some positive state news. Oh, Aaron, you know, we love the local and this is a great one. We want to highlight a local win that shows just how crucial a Democratic Senate majority can be, no matter how small. Last week, the Minnesota governor signed a bill that guarantees 20 weeks of paid family and medical leave for all workers starting in 2026. This allows them to still get paid when they take time off for childcare, another family, or their own health needs. Minnesota will become the 12th 12th state plus the District of Columbia that will have some sort of paid leave program. Without the Minnesota Democrats' one-seat majority, this would not have passed through the Senate and to the governor's desk. Also earlier this week, the governor signed a bill making Minnesota the 23rd state to legalize adult-use cannabis after a bipartisan bill passed both chambers earlier this month. Aaron, is Minnesota one of the best states? I mean, you know I'm biased. I I know. Uh, that's why I teed it up for you. you it's know, a real softball. You know I'm biased. I, uh, I you know, grew up right across the border in Wisconsin, but culturally I, I feel a, a great affinity toward Minnesotans. St. Paul, Minneapolis is a world-class city. Uh, Duluth is a gem along the lake. Um yeah, Minnesota is a great state. It's a great place to be. It's a great place for families. The winters take a little getting used to, but I think the key is really adopting a sort of like fuck you attitude toward the weather. Yeah. And just going out and doing what you want anyway and like using the cold as motivation to just get your shit done. Um, yeah, Minnesota has been for years uh, a state where there has been a vocal active and energized group of progressive voters who, even in the midst of, you know, the Michelle Bachman of times, um, oh, God. Have, have never, ever given up, you know, and, and there was a period, yeah. there was a period of time where, you know, there was a, there was a big debate about like gay marriage and it, and it failed first. And the thing that I love about progressives in Minnesota and in the Midwest in general, is that they just never give up. They never give up. And this right. is what they did with a literal one-seat majority. Um, they've got paid family leave now. I feel like now when you see all those depressing maps that are like, here are the places in the world that don't have paid family leave, Minnesota will have right. to be excluded, uh, car- yes. carved out from from the maps. Um, it's actually one of the best paid family leave programs yep. in the whole country. Um, and it will be funded by a... Uh, 
0.7% payroll tax on employers that will take effect, effect in 2026. Employers, uh, businesses have, you know, pushed back saying it's going to be too expensive. Um, right. But actual policy analysis shows that this will enable fewer people to use social services, which just goes to prove that businesses in a lot of cases um, are bailed out and subsidized by government social service safety net programs. Um, we're finally also, making them pay for it. What the other thing too is the employers here can deduct half of their premiums from workers' wages. The law contains protections against retaliation for workers who take the time off. And it also includes premium relief for smaller companies. So there are a lot of they have gone very far. This is very detailed. It's really trying to protect small businesses, and uh, we're here for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, large, big businesses that are based in Minnesota. 3M is based in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple of huge hospitals based in Minnesota. And, you know, if you want to read more about what Minnesota did with a one-seat majority, you should definitely look into it because uh, the Minnesota legislature really got down to business and Governor Tim Waltz got to signing some really good legislation. So congratulations to the state of Minnesota, the land of 10,000 lakes. And uh, I hope to see you during the state fair this year. Wait, Aaron, don't we have one more news story? Oh, yeah. Actually, big news. Um, Yeah. So uh, the new CEO of Waystar Royco has been named post-Gojo merger, and it's not who you'd expect. Alyssa, what do you make of this surprising choice of Tom Wamsgams as CEO of Waystar Royco? Well, Aaron, I think that Lucas Matson, renowned and stereotypical tech bro, known for sending blood to ex-girlfriends and clicking his heels uh, and screaming Ebba in order to take control of this, wanted someone who would just be a puppet. And uh, we've heard through sources that when Tom decided to not show up at Logan Roy's funeral, that Lucas thought, that's exactly the kind of patsy, hardworking patsy, I want running my company. And so... His choices were clear and probably smart, given his options. (laughs) (laughs) What I thought was really interesting is, you know, in this unprecedented look into the Roy family's life that we've been given Mm. these past four years. uh, So lucky. I got a sense at the conclusion of the announcement episode of the news. Um, (laughs) I got a sense that every single person got what they wanted, but in a monkey paw wish kind of way. And yes. by that, I mean what like, they wanted and what they deserved. What you be careful what you wish for. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, during the during the course of the four previous seasons of succession, um, Kendall was always talking about how he doesn't want to be his father over and over and over again. Do you mean Kendall, the eldest boy? The eldest Roy? boy. That was so funny how he called himself and he yelled, I am the eldest boy. That is like the most pathetic yes. thing that an adult also, man can yell. You're an adult thoughts man. Thoughts and prayers for Connor. <laughs> Poor con man. Uh, <laughs> I, I love that Will is going to ship him off and live in that castle, though. Good for her. Good. As the, the true winner of this she, uh, acquisition. She won succession. She was the winner. Um, you know, I, I thought that Kendall didn't was saying over and over again throughout the series that he didn't want to be his father. And then in the mm-hmm. funeral, in, during the funeral, he mentioned that he did want to be his father. He kind of, like, backtracked on that. But by that point, it was too late. 
you know, the wheels were in motion. And um, at the end, Shiv, by actually reneging on her vote, um, prevented him from being his father. Yeah. He got what he wanted. And she made sure that Roman, youngest boy, would be free from the life he clearly couldn't handle and didn't want. Yeah, we are bullshit is one of the greatest quotes. We are bullshit. If that's not a t-shirt or a hat soon, I people are asleep at the wheel. <laughs> I mean, I, I you know, I, the WGA strike is still going on. I think SA, hopefully SAG will be joining soon. Um, you, yeah. are, you are bullshit would be a pretty good sign. Perfect I mean, because it's not like we, you know, the Roys are not us. They're, they're different than us. <laughs> right. Um, what did you make of Shiv's final moments on the show? Oh, absolutely perfect and exactly what she deserved and who she was in her core. She spent her entire life trying to get the approval of powerful men, whether it was whether it was the progressive guy she worked for, whose name I always forget, the uh, whether it was her father, whether it was Matson. But now, Aaron, now. Tom is powerful, so she can spend her life with him, because I guess he approves of her, while she becomes her mother. Mm -hmm. I also thought during one of their exhilarating fights, the Tom-Shiv fights, Uh, more exciting to me than any, like, Fast and Furious car chase scene. So good. Without question. Um, During one of their arguments, Shiv said... You took the last six months. You took my father. I missed out on the last six months with my dad because Mm -hmm. you took him away. Well, now she gets to live out the rest of her life with her dad. Yeah, it's great. The CEO of Waystar, Royco, um, who is just – and also Tom. We know that Tom wanted that the whole time. Tom wanted to be the CEO. That's why he married Shiv. That's why he was with Shiv in the first place. He wanted access to power. But in his conversation with Matson, Matson is like, you were just going to – you were going to eat shit. You're going to eat. This job is you eat shit. He is Matson's Greg. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like Tom got what he wanted. But we know as viewers that it's going to be terrible. It is going to be Te- oh. a horrible. Wor- enjoy, enjoy yourself, Tom. Yeah. Worst job in America. Um, and uh, I'm just really glad that it didn't end. Look, I wanted people to die. Jeremy Strong. You did. Jeremy you really Strong did. said in an interview that after they they cut the cameras, he ran and tried to jump into the river, which is like so. You could see it in his eyes. You knew he wanted to make a run for that icy cold water. Oh, can we talk about a meal fit for a king? By the way. Okay, so Aaron, you and I were texting, and we were like, you know that when Jeremy Strong was in his method acting, that he drank that, and according according to IndieWire, he did drink it. <laughs> Oh, did you ever do that to like siblings or cousins? No, I have IBS. I could not inflict that on anyone. We used to do that. Like, you know, we would go to like a, a like a buffet place after church or something like that on a Sunday. And it would be me and my parents and my aunt and uncle and my cousins, maybe my grandma and grandpa. And we would just like put every condiment in a glass and every type of liquid in a glass and then make my, my brother usually would be the one to drink it. Uh, it was pretty gross. He would drink it and pretend that it didn't gross him out, but it was, it was pretty gross. Uh, but it's cool that like even super rich people do that to each other. It made me feel class solidarity. Family bonding. (laughs) Family bonding. Um, let's see any other final thoughts. I feel like we've all kind of, 
We, no, I feel like that was it. Him running into the water really would have been it, but he didn't do it. So another yeah. time, Jeremy. Yeah. Well, can't wait to see what any of these people do next. Sarah Snook, by the way, um, every time I see her in an interview and she's talking in her real voice. It's so confusing. I feel like I'm a kid at Disney World and I see Mickey Mouse take his head off. I'm yeah, like, same with Tom. Same with Tom and his real voice. Oh, it's like, well, it's that, those two. And then Christian Bale. When I hear Christian Bale's real voice, I'm like, what is happening? What is going yeah. <laughs> This is terrible. Uh, why did Mickey take his head off? Uh, okay, let's take a quick break. Really excited about this interview this week. This is a person that's been on our wish list for a really long mm-hmm. time. Also, Alyssa, your arms look buff. Have you been doing? Oh, thank you. I have re- I've been doing a lot of push-ups. Oh, yeah, you look buff. Alyssa's, Thank you. Alyssa is gun, sun's out, guns out right now. Um, sun's she, out, guns out. And she looks, in my muscle tank from Aaron. <laughs> what does your muscle tank say? It says Barefoot Contessa, and it has many pictures of Ina Garten and her husband, Jeffrey, enjoying each other's company. <laughs> That's one way to describe it, indeed. Okay, let's take a quick break. When we come back, our interview with Samantha B. And welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria, the podcast that the original Sex in the City version of Miranda Hobbs would listen to on the subway, but not <laughs> the end just like that version, right? No. She, no. she wouldn't. She's no. not listening to anything. We're not here for Che Diaz or anyone no. on that show. Miranda Hobbs in the and just like that Sex in the City reboot doesn't listen to anything, including reason. So, <laughs> um, okay. So let's get to talking to our guest today. Our guest today is a comedian former host of Full Frontal with Sam B. And before that was a longtime correspondent on The Daily Show. She's in the midst of her comedy tour, Your Favorite Woman, as we speak. And her new podcast, Choice Words, premieres today. Samantha B., welcome to Hysteria. Thank you so much for having me. I love this podcast. I'm excited to be on it. What? But I will say that, yeah, no, Excuse but I disagree me. with you. I disagree with you on one thing, which is to say that even though I definitely hate watch it, I'm so excited for <laughs> And Just Like That. So am I. I'm so deeply excited. I would watch 500 seasons of it in three days. <laughs> I am too. So, you know, there aren't that many course. shows where I am like, this is event television for me. We have like Succession <laughs> and then and just like right, that, yeah. even though every time yes. I tuned in, I'm like, what frustrating choice. What a stupid what, show. Uh, what is a comedy concert? What? Oh, God, I love it so much. I need more. <laughs> Are you doing comedy concerts, Sam? I am doing a comedy con- <laughs> in the spirit of that. Enjoy my, please enjoy my comedy concert. <laughs> okay, so with Full Frontal tragically no longer on air, there is per usual a lack of female voices in late night. Um, there's not a lot of discourse around paid family leave or menopause on late night anymore at all. Uh, by 2028, <laughs> no, it's really. predicted we'll own 75% of the discretionary spending, making them the world's most powerful influencers. So why aren't advertisers demanding more women in late night? What gives? I cannot. I don't have the answer whatsoever. If I knew the answer, I would be exploiting the answer. But I don't. <laughs> I like, just cannot believe. We have so much buying power, so much influence. We have all of the ingredients. And we are, I think, an extraordinarily underserved audience. 
and I would love it if the ratio was upended, but I really don't know. I, I don't know what the trick is. I really don't. Mm. I'm sorry. Anyway, end of scene. <laughs> Do you think that late night holds the prestigious and influential place it used to hold? Like, is it well, kind of falling out of I, favor? I just don't think, um, I guess so probably such a terrible thing for me to say. I just don't think it has the, not that it was an important, not that it was like had weight and importance or gravitas before, but at least it, there was a, there was more of a purpose to it, I think in the past. And I think that because people didn't get the news all day, every day, like it was a place to go at the end of your day to come down or see us or catch up on something that you didn't know anything about or see something kind of digested, see a news item digested in a different way or an analysis that was unexpected and just to laugh. And I think, you know, with all of us being so just, we're so tuned into everything. Like now at the end of the day, I don't need you to tell me news items anymore. I'm tired. I don't, (laughs) I, I actively reject that. So I think it like the, the purpose seems to have shifted. I'm not sure that uh, it feels in many ways like we've all sort of lost the thread or we're so tired at the end of the day that we're like, please give me more Shay because I must have it <laughs> immediately or succession, which is also stressful, uh-huh. but in a different way, uh-huh. in a different way. Sam, what have you been enjoying the most about the podcasting format as opposed to television? I love, well, you know, like with television, you have these great conversations with people for a full, I mean, you know, you have great conversations, you do all this stuff, you talk to someone for an hour, you like love everything you talked about, you go to another country and you interview someone, you spend the whole day with them. And then you use literally 45 seconds of all the incredible things that they said to you and everything else, there's no place for it. There's no there's no cutting room floor. There's no second TV show where you get to show all the gorgeous gems that you couldn't use because it didn't fit the story, the storytelling that you were doing. So it's fun to it's fun to actually be able to have a conversation that extends longer than what seems to take forty five seconds to a minute and a half. I like it. I love. I'm sure you do too. It's like I love interviewing people. I yeah. truly love it. It's like the one skill or the one joy one of the joys of doing television in that format for so long that I'd like to keep moving forward because it's just so pleasurable. So it's the, a natural, it's a natural fit, I think. I love Tell it. our listeners mm-hmm. a little bit about what they can expect with this podcast. Who are you talking to? What are you learning? What are you trying to do? Well, I'm talking to people about, well, because you know, I got fired from my job. And that mm. causes you, <laughs> which was so stupid. Like, Can we talk about that? Was like, like so stupid. It was so stupid. stupid. I was like, so stupid. Gobsmacked. Mm-hmm. What? Like, ugh. well, I was. I wasn't. I can't say that I was gobsmacked because I had been got moved off my time slot by wrestling. And I think <laughs> oh. usually, like, <laughs> of course, <laughs> usually if you're like, well, you know what's so fun? Like, here's. Okay, ring, ring. Hi, Sam. Guess what? This is such good news. You're going to go to another day and another time, and we're going to put wrestling on where you (laughs) once were. And I'm like, that is amazing. And also, we're going to get off the schedule really soon, right? (laughs) Like, (laughs) this is 
a really big sign that we might not fit in there anymore, like with your programming decisions. Um, so I can't say that it was like a huge shock for me, but it was like a public, it was, you know, it was in the public sphere. It was pretty wild ride and it causes you, I don't know, I've been on TV for a really long time. It's not like, not to say that I need to keep being on TV for the rest of my life. I 100% don't. Um, but you have to make choices. You have to go like, oh, what do I, what the fuck is my, well, who am, who am I? <laughs> I think, I think I am a person. <laughs> am I? <laughs> Let's find out. So it causes you to make these like real choices and like, what are the things that you want to, what are the choices you want to select from all the work you did, the body of work that you did that you would do no matter what that you would do for free going on until the day you die? Are there things, are there parts of your job that you would carry forward? And so choice words is that. And I like to talk to people about the choices that they made that led them to the place where they are. Like, because I've made so many bad choices and so many good choices. And I think we all have, we all make all these decisions every day. Mm -hmm. And so what are the ones that other people make? I want to know from them what they did, mm -hmm. right or wrong. Mm -hmm. It makes me feel better about myself, actually. <laughs> I feel really, like just makes me feel awesome. On that note, <laughs> what are some choices or a choice that you've made that changed oh. the trajectory of your life for, for better well, or for I worse? Was, I was telling, I interviewed, one of the interviews was Judd Apatow, which was like a really fun conversation. And I actually told him that I was, when I was a teenager, and it's not like, it's not like, a story of glory or anything like that. I'm not, I'm not proud of it. I think it's a good story to tell. It's just a real story. But for a long time, I was a, a, like a criminal when I was a teenager. We, <laughs> me and my boyfriend, yeah, just that. What? Just that. <laughs> me and my boyfriend stole car. We stole cars together, and we fenced um, stolen goods for a long time. We would have these big wild parties, and I mean, like I had braces on my teeth. Like I was a child. <laughs> and it's probably why um, you got away with it. Everyone was like, she's not going to yeah. do anything. She's, oh, yeah. No, braces. no, no. It's not possible. I had braces and I wore a string of pearls. And I was like, if you wear pearls, you can do anything. <laughs> and that was true, as I found out. But we, it, it was, and I wanted, I wanted, I thought I wanted to continue this life. I was like, I'm going to be. I'm going to be a criminal. I was like, we're going to move to Florida and we're going <laughs> to, we're going to move to Miami and we're going to start a criminal syndicate. And he was like, I don't think I want to do that. And I was like, you're a chicken shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not afraid. But then over time, like uh, over time, there was a day that I woke up and I, I completely changed the trajectory of my life. I kind of woke up and got smacked in the face with the truth of what I had become the fact that I, everyone in my life hated me, that I hated myself, that I was like a Lisa Simpson, as you both are, <laughs> yeah. in, like in my heart, like deep in my core, in the DNA, I'm a Lisa Simpson, not, um, not a Nelson. Not a, not a Nelson. <laughs> and so it, it, that choice was so stark and, and happened so quickly. And I completely turned it around in a day. It was like running into, it was literally like running into a wall of truth one day with like, you know, when you feel like when you're about to crash into something and you're like, oh, I felt a hand on my shoulder. I like literally was like, wait a second, this is terrible. <laughs> oh my God. And broke, you know, and, and changed the entire trajectory of my life in that one day, in that moment. I don't know what could have become of me. And it, 
anything was possible. Oh my gosh. I this is so, like I'm I'm reeling from this information, like imagining you yeah. stealing cars as a oh, child. Oh, it's terrible. Um yeah. like <laughs> awful. Was this in Canada? What, yeah. What a terrible human being. <laughs> what, what what a terrible human being. Did you give the cars back? No. Oh, God, no. <laughs> no, I mean they were eventually like I don't know what happened to them. We never got were caught, I mercifully and um and I mean, he went on to a criminal life. I th- did he I'm move to Florida? Fault. Did he move to Florida? <laughs> he never did, but oh. he never, he didn't have that change of, he didn't have that change of heart. And I, I guess I like, it's such an inter- it's such a weird story because when I talk about it, it's kind of funny. It's kind of unimaginable. It's weird. I've told my kids, they're like, you, you're the <laughs> literal squarest person. <laughs> you can't even find jeans that look good on you. Like there's no way that you've led that life. And um, so I'm not, I don't say it with, with pride particularly. And I've spent the whole, I think I've spent the rest of my life kind of trying to make up for that or to try to fill that deficit mm-hmm. with something else, like to repair whatever cosmic damage I did. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. People suffered. Oh. <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad you went with uh, the, you didn't use people suffered as the title of your podcast. Because, people yeah. and people <laughs> suffered. Um, so I- I'm curious when you first realized you were funny enough to be like professionally funny and who was your first hmm. biggest fan? Oh, that's funny. Well, let me see. So professionally funny, not for a very long time in life. Like I did not come into performance at all until my mid twenties. I had no idea that this would be my life. I wanted to go to law school or I didn't want to. I thought that I would Mm -hmm. because I definitely, I wanted to be, I wanted to have some professional job. I just wanted to, (laughs) I just wanted to like be able to pay a mortgage. That was my really only goal. And then in college, I took a theater class and then I was like, oh, I should be on stage because I'm extremely comfortable on stage, but I thought I would be a very dramatic actor. And then I just subbed in for somebody doing comedy one day, just through mutual friends in my late twenties. And I was like, no, I will do this for the rest of my life. (laughs) Paid or unpaid, I will always have a trunk full of wigs in my car. Even when I'm in my sixties, I'm going to be an absolute asshole for the rest of my life. And um, I didn't really start like earning a living at it until mid thirties. So I think- it was quite late in life. And who was my first? I mean, the first person who really, mm, this is mm, my husband, was oh. my first biggest fan. Like he was so, isn't that, it's sweet, but it's true. really sweet. He was in comedy too. He was so encouraging. We did lots of stuff together. Um, and then I would say John Stewart honestly gave me my mm. hugest break and like was the first outside person who I think truly believed that there was some something at the core. That's sweet. Mm. That's a sweet story. Yeah. I don't think I've ever said those words before. Well, Aww. we bring out the best in people. You do. You truly do. <laughs> oh, speaking of bringing out the best in people. So mm-hmm. a few years back, you yeah. had some choice words for Ivanka Trump, I which did. the right and pearl clutchers generally went bonkers over. Bonkers. Where is the civility, Sam B, they screamed. Oh, yeah. 
Now, in the years since, the GOP mm-hmm. has attacked women, gay and trans kids, people who believe mm-hmm. in science, books, and God help us, have celebrated the likes of Tucker Carlson. Mm-hmm. Love her, but we simply cannot always go high as uh, Michelle Obama asks of us. So in a world of boundless hypocrisy, how can we respond in ways that are constructive when all we want to do is rage? Like, did you have any epiphanies after that incident? Um, I had a lot of it. I had so many epiphanies. We're it here was, for all of them. It was like a, it was a really life, it was, that was a life changing experience. I would say it really, well, I don't think that my epiphanies were good. It didn't like restore my faith in humanity at all. Right. No, but um, I definitely was like, oh, this is, everyone's terrible. <laughs> oh, everyone's really terrible. Like we're all making such a big deal because a lady said a dirty word. Like we're really doing this. Like the whole issue and the whole reason why um why we did that piece was because we had just been all learning that they were trapping putting children, putting migrant children into cages and that was a huge emerging story. And she behaved unspeakably, I felt, um, over the weekend when this huge story was breaking. Like, it was so insensitive what she did, and it made me so mad. And I was so angry about the whole – so angry and upset about the whole situation. And for three days, it was just like a constant barrage of – like, you know, in the the news media, on both sides, everywhere, globally – globally was like how what a shame that this one woman on TBS saying a bad word really distracted from this really huge story that we all should be paying attention paying attention to and i was like you motherfuckers stop fucking talking about fucking little me saying a word I've said on the show 25 times prior and start focusing on the fucking story that you should be telling. I'm like, it's not actually my job, but all of you who are talking about me, it's your fucking job to change the subject right fucking now. Mm-hmm. Right. And they didn't. And I just watched it happen and I got caught in the wave of it. It was like walking through, it was like walking through fire and I came out a changed person, mm-hmm. but a much more cynical person actually. So I can't, I don't if it may it makes me so mad actually still talking about it clearly that oh my cat is walking right over my computer. Oh, perfect. perfect. As if this to is say, the show part of perfect, this podcast. Part of the show, perfect yeah. segue. Yeah. So that I don't have I don't I don't even remember what your question was, but it's did still, you so what, how did it how did it change you? Did you do you think now differently about how you respond to things? I it made me it did make me realize in that moment that people were watching the sh- it Definitely made me realize that people were watching the show. And I think that there it's always uh there's a schism, I think, in a in a in a comedian's brain or a performer's brain because you think you keep thinking that you're in <laughs> you keep thinking you're in the trenches all the time and you're like, because it's hard to make a career and you don't think of yourself as having a platform. You just think, yeah, I'm in it. Like everybody, I'm just like just doing my thing and whatever. But it actually had legs. And I, that was the moment where I realized, oh, I actually have like a, a microphone. So I Mm -hmm. should be judicious about it and realize that these 
words have the, the you know, the potential to like hurt people and do other things and reverberate through places I in places I didn't expect. So that was a really good awakening. Mm-hmm. Actually, that that was very good. Mm-hmm. It helped me tap into a strength that I didn't know I had, and it made me it made me realize how fleeting any kind of like media relationships are or like how tenuous Mm -hmm. all those threads are and how nothing is really all that reliable and you just have to take care of the people that you work with and take care of yourself in that you have to build your team and keep your team safe and face those headwinds with strength and not really give too not care too much what other people Mm -hmm. think about you you cannot put your self-worth in the minds and words of other people. I mean, yeah, um, but you were right. <laughs> you were yeah. Right. Yeah. No, <laughs> I mean, I was. Let's stipulate. Also, we agreed I entirely. You were 100%. 100%. You were 100% and you know what? right. I regret nothing. And <laughs> if it, I'd call more people cunts if I had the chance. <laughs> there were a lot more people. <laughs> there were a lot more people who who fit that moniker, <laughs> actually. <laughs> oh, man. It, remem- it reminds me a little bit, and it wasn't as big of a firestorm, but when Michelle Wolf made a joke about yeah. uh, about Sarah mm-hmm. Huckabee Sanders' bad makeup, and everyone yeah. was like, this is, oh, my goodness, my oh. stars. It was just oh, like, too far. It was too far. I'm fainting. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like the Mika Brzezinski's of the world should not take on feminist topics because they Please. took a business class in the same building as feminist studies, but they don't even mm-hmm. know what the fuck they're talking about. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Women can be assholes, too. We all have to remind mm-hmm. ourselves of that. And that's um, that's one of the big lessons of feminism is we are complete yes. human beings. We are complete yes. human beings that are just as capable as being total fucking cunts as men. Yes. Exactly. That's right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sam, we read that during Full Frontal, you were very dedicated mm-hmm. to packing your own lunch every day. And oh, yeah. that you Definitely. generally love to shop for food and cook. So what are you cooking or eating these days? And any recipes Ooh. we should also be obsessed with? Oh, my goodness. Oh, I love this. Um, I cook all the time. I always cook for myself. Everybody laughs at me because when I have to go on an airplane, so I'm just on this tour. I'm still like, okay, I'm going to pack my breakfast, lunch, and dinner just in case I get stuck at the airport. Like, such a dork in my gladware and sa- like every manner of snacks. My whole bag is filled with snacks and delicious, like delicious things that I can eat along the way to make my life more pleasurable. I definitely, what am I eating right now? Well, after this, I'm going to make a beautiful, I'm going to make some eggs, actually. Mm. I have this nice, toast. I bought this special loaf of bread that I love so much. I'm going to slice it really thin and crispy. And I'm going to have some, I'm going to make some eight minute eggs. Wow. I'm going to spread those out on some crispy toast and we're going to go to town. (laughs) Delicious. Oh man, Mm -hmm. that sounds amazing. Mm -hmm. And also I'm realizing that if you had like a service where people could call and you would just describe Mm -hmm. food, people would pay for that. People would 100% yes. pay for that. That was a really I good would pay for that. <laughs> oh, I would. toast and delicious to- eggs. Mm, mm, <laughs> just like the beautiful, like with those beautiful yolks, those like orange. Gold, like, yellow. Golden, golden, medium, 
medium boil eggs. <laughs> mm. So when you head to the airport, you are the one carrying a ludicrously capacious bag, as as Tom <laughs> would say. Ludicrously capacious, Ab- just totally obnoxious. Such a such a dead giveaway that I'm like a striver and not born to it. <laughs> but but you're not the person eating hard boiled eggs on a plane. I would never. Oh, That's, we just need to make that clear. I would never. If I wanted to eat hard boiled eggs at the airport, I would tuck myself into a corner where no one else is sitting, and I would enjoy okay. them away from others. Okay. I'm respectful. See, honestly, I think eating eggs on a plane is a bigger crime than stealing a car in many cases. A hundred percent. Glad to right. see that you've moved on in life. More deserving of right. jail. hundred From your crimes. <laughs> <laughs> I take my spaghetti. Just some airplane spaghetti. It's so nice. Samantha B., thank you so much for joining us on Hysteria. Listeners, Sam's new podcast, Choice Words, premieres today. Thanks so much and come back anytime. So fun. So great to see you both. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yay. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe Mushroom Coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I, I just like, I, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like parched? I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast, no dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito... (laughs) <laughs> not not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ bar's ultimate sampler pack. That's seven IQ bars, four IQ mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount, text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. This episode of Hysteria is brought to you by Viore. Need the perfect Mother's or Father's Day gift? Check out Viore Performance Apparel. Drawing inspo from the coastal California lifestyle, Viore's products inspire others to live vibrant, active lives. I love that they're calling this the coastal California lifestyle. I will embrace that instead of what I thought it was, which was the I only want to wear comfortable clothes lifestyle. 
Yeah. I have to. I refuse to be uncomfortable I refu- if I want to be productive. I refuse <laughs> to be uncomfortable, but sometimes I have to look like I belong in a respectable place lifestyle, which is like yeah. Viore is perfect for it because they the clothes look fantastic. They fit great. They are so comfortable. I lie down in mine all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, Erin, the women's performance joggers. They have a slim but relaxed fit and are designed with dream knit stretch fabric. I love my joggers. I've slept in mine. I've slept in them. Really? You don't get hot? No. They're very, like, on a a couch nap. You know, you have, like, a— Oh, yeah. You've got, like, maybe a half an hour in the afternoon. You're like, ooh, I've got a, like, small break. I'm very tired. I'm going to just, like, lay down for 20 minutes. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect for couch napping. Joggers. I love the leggings. I can work out in them. I can do my errands in them. I can wear them with a proper top to a business meeting. It is not a problem. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you probably could. Just put yeah, a, a totally. blazer and like— Denim shirt. Denim, denim shirt, oh, blazer, yeah. leggings. So easy. 100%. And, of course, the men's core shorts. They have a classic athletic fit, falling just above the knee, while the Sunday performance joggers are made from recycled performance stretch fabric. I got my dad some men's core shorts. He wears them to mow the lawn. That's perfect. He is. Like, I think my my dad is one of those people that just, like, beats the crap out of his clothes. He'll wear them until they're— they look like a security blanket that a 30-year-old yep. still has where it's just like a ball of string and you're like, um, Our dads are the same. Yeah, yeah. But um, my dad has had his for like a couple years now and I think I, I saw him wearing them the other week when I met up with um, family on a, on a short weekend trip and they still looked great. It was like, Dad, your clothes still look new. <laughs> so fancy. Viore is offering Hysteria listeners 20% off your first purchase. Get some of the most comfy and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash hysteria. You'll also enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash hysteria and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. And welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria, a podcast for people who would celebrate a smoother and more humane path to citizenship for migrants around the world, but would still be a tiny bit bummed if it meant the end of the K-1 visa program and by extension, the 90 Day Fiancé franchise. Alyssa's nodding vigorously, emphatically. (laughs) But she's also making a face that indicates she's like, Aaron, maybe don't say that. (laughs) Never! Oh, thank you. Your support means the world to me. Um, Yeah. So speaking of 90 Day Fiance, this is an episode of Hysteria that has been quite some time in the making. Um, And I really am excited to get into it. As soon as as it was announced that the ultimatum on Netflix was going to be the galtimatum, if Mm -hmm. you will, Um, a, a queer love episode or 
season of The Ultimatum, uh, we were like, we got to get this group together. We got to get this group together and talk about it. Talk about reality TV, what we're seeing, what it's doing, and 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 why we're watching. So without further ado, our first guest is our favorite astrophysicist, <laughs> I would say, Definitely. for sure. Out of all of the astrophysicists, she's our favorite. And a black feminist theorist. She is an assistant professor at the University of New Hampshire and the author of the book, The Disordered Cosmos, A Journey into Dark Matter, Space, Time, and Dreams Deferred, and also kind of unofficially my reality TV doula, <laughs> I would say unofficially. Dr. Chanda Prescott-Weinstein, welcome to Hysteria. Thank you for having me. You are giddy. You are giddy with excitement. <laughs> Effervescent. <laughs> Effervescent with excitement. Our next guest is Crooked's resident military optimistic lesbian. <laughs> Militant. Okay. I was like, military. Well, I was like, let's not. Don't okay. set me up for failure. Our next guest is Crooked's resident militantly optimistic lesbian. Whoa. Can I get that on a band t-shirt? <laughs> she hosts the horror movie podcast Ruined with Allison Leiby, and she's the head comedy writer of of Love It or Leave It, Hallie Kiefer. Welcome to Hysteria. Thank you for having me. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here to talk about this program. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to talk about Netflix's The Ultimatum, Queer Love, and the queering of reality shows. Uh, Dr. Chanda, kick us off. What are your initial thoughts about The Ultimatum on Netflix? Heterosexual reality dating TV is dead. <laughs> <laughs> Why, just, why is that? I This has been – okay, so I've only seen the first four episodes. I restrained myself. I wanted to get up this morning and watch the new episodes early, but I restrained myself. So I'm just talking about the first four episodes of um, Girl Tomatum. I like that, by the way, Girl Tomatum. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That, that's, that's excellent. Um, I just think that there are so many more interesting things that can happen when you – have a group of people where they can all be interested in each other, right? Like this is just from a pure like production and writing standpoint, this was the case that I've I've come on hysteria a few times and made this point that you can have so much more drama, you can have a lot more interesting things that happen when for example, you have one person who's hitting on both sides of one couple. Mm. That can't happen on straight tomato. <laughs> like, like, you, you just you can't have that happen. Um, that requires some queer folks. Um, I don't know. So I guess like I should be really embarrassed to be talking like this because you know love is a very serious thing, but <laughs> it's kind of beautiful. <laughs> uh, Hallie, you're kind of nodding along. Mm -hmm. I would love to hear your initial thoughts as well. Oh sure, and I know we're going to get into a lot of this. I thought it was great. I'll be honest, I don't like reality dating shows. I just and I, mostly it's because I don't like conflict. Mm. And what I enjoyed about this is that the conflict is a 45 minute long emotional conversation about whether or not a dog can sleep in bed with you. And that that shit, I, I, I know it's a it. I loved it. I fucking loved it. <laughs> I was like, hell yeah. It just, there's also like, uh, to your point, I think like once you sort of open things up a little bit, it's like the idea that a 24-year-old is like, I'm going to get married. It's like, that is just not something, like people are coming at this with so many different expectations that are sort of dissimilar to what you might see, I think perhaps in a, in a straight version of this. I, I thought it was, I loved it. And even as someone who, like, would not have consumed the straight version of this, I thought it was great. I just want to add that I actually made fun of 
God, who was it? Is it Lexi? Lexi's the one. He's like 24 yes. and mm-hmm. wants to get married. So I was totally making snarky comments about her until I realized that I was 26 and my ex-wife was 24 <laughs> when we got married. And I was like, oh, this is like extremely lesbian television. And I'm here. 100%. 100%. <laughs> um, I just feel like in general, straight or gay or queer or bi, whatever, before your frontal lobe closes is not the time to make a lifetime commitment. Yeah. Just in general, yeah. in general, <laughs> uh, that's that's my take on on this this whole thing. Um, Alyssa, what were your initial thoughts watching the the girl to Okay, so I'm gonna say something that's I don't know. I don't think controversial. I'm just gonna be honest because this is a safe space. So normally, I feel much better about watching. Um, watching reality shows that are like white straight people because I feel better making fun of them. Do you know what I mean? I feel very comfortable. Like it's my place. I can be like, what losers? What maniacs? And so I was a little hesitant going into this one because I didn't want to have negative opinions about anybody. But the truth is this is like the best reality show I have watched. (laughs) I have enjoyed it so thoroughly. Like, Hallie, when you were talking about uh, Shiloh the dog, and Tiff, mm-hmm. yes. I I agreed with Tiff on both sides <laughs> of that conversation. I was like, yeah, mm. you need to embrace the no, dog I, a little bit more. You got to. And here's where we're at is I'm the other side of this. I reject this. <gasps> I don't know that dog. No. I'm going to sleep no. in the bed with a dog but, I don't no, know. No, but let me finish. But then I was like, I was feeling it. I felt that I'm like, you know what? She, she could be a little bit more interested in Tiff's dog. But then Tiff was like, at dinner. Did you not like how I approached that topic? Should I have done mm-hmm. it differently? I was like, oh my God, this is the best relationship. Yeah, no, ever. you're right. And then wow. they came, they came <laughs> to consensus and Tiff came around. So anyway, I was just like, this is the most mature show. I'm gonna learn so much shit by watching this. I just, I've loved every minute of it. I read that dog situation so differently. I just had a conversation with someone on Twitter about this the other day. I thought Tiff was being kind of abusive. I mean, I and obviously, like, there's an element of that that maybe that's how it got cut because it just seems like Tiff just started a fight about their dog. Yes. With, like, no context, See, right? And also, I got to say, I don't know that dog. That's I don't know that dog. Shiloh looked adorable. <laughs> the eyes were very gentle. Um, but no, I guess here's the thing. If I had stopped watching at that – if I had stopped watching when they were in the kitchen, I might have been like, Tiff, what the fuck? But I guess because it turned out okay, I had a better opinion about the first half of the conversation mm-hmm. in my defense. I also – yeah, no, and I also do think to your point of like how it seemed. Yeah, you gotta. I hats off to the editors of this season <laughs> because other than Vanessa, which I'm assuming we're gonna oh. get to in a minute, a lot of the other couples like you have to create the drama in the yeah. edit. I imagine, and so like they probably did have to cut it in a way that it's like, I don't know, they're arguing about the dog, so it's gonna be the dog. That's gonna be the storyline. <laughs> but also like I feel like we've all seen reality enough to know that. So for, to me, I was like, I get what's going on which is why I will defend Vanessa, even though she is an absolute monster. monster. You, cannot, you cannot have this season without a Vanessa. It is impossible to do from the structure of how reality right, works. Right, but then but isn't it our open... job to hate her and mock her endlessly on this show? Right. Both people need to do their yes. jobs. I think they're both. I think she's playing the game beautifully. <laughs> I put a smile on my face every time. Every time she is like, she has the villain at it. And I couldn't have been happier. So just to to go into who Vanessa is, the person with the villain edit in this season, Vanessa is uh, issued an ultimatum to her partner, Xander. Xander, who it seems like a very gentle 
lovely, chill—I would say chill vibes. Xander has chill vibes. Well, just just step back. I believe Xander issued the ultimatum. Oh, yeah. Xander, Xander issued the yeah. okay. Xander issued the ultimatum to Vanessa. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes more sense. Yes, yes, yes. Cause yes. I, cause anyway, I'm I'm looking at notes and I'm like, that doesn't. Okay, so Xander, chill vibes. Mm-hmm. Purely chill. Seems cool. Uh, Vanessa, just a Jackson Pollock painting of crazy. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, it, it seems kind of as though, you know, the way that she's been edited, so we can't say that this is how she is in real life. Uh, they've known each other since high school, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Their boyfriends were best friends, uh, and now they're together, and they've been together for a really long time. And Vanessa is a little bit of a loose cannon. Mm-hmm. Vanessa, at one point, uh, like Chanda alluded to, was hitting on both sides of a couple. With um, the same it, lines. With the same with lines. With the same lines. <laughs> um, yeah. like Economical. She, yeah, exactly. Why write more than you need to? You, <laughs> you only know? need the one line. Yeah, yeah, you only need the one line. Good point. Mm-hmm. Good. Says the writer over here. Um, so, I mean, Vanessa is, is sort of like a, a loose cannon. It seems almost histrionic in her quest for attention and validation. Um, we'll say kind of wild things that I remember being, you know, in college in the early 2000s, like in the deeply in the Girls Gone Wild era, when like girls would say like sexy things about girls to get attention at parties. She was sort of like doing the that sort of play, the like sexual histrionics um and and now vanessa has partnered up with ray who is another sweet gentle seeming soul uh ray's partner before was lexi the 24 year old who Mm -hmm. wants to get married who is like i would describe lexi as precocious uh, but lexi also is like a no bullshit person Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. lexi is on to vanessa being bullshit Mm -hmm. vanessa is having a grand old time being bullshit. Uh, Chanda, I would love to hear your take on Vanessa. I know I know where you stand, but I would love to hear you talk about her. I mean, Vanessa's a monster. Right? A monster. I mean, I, I and and you know, I am pro poly. I'm extremely pro poly. I think that the Bachelor franchise is America's great polyamorous <laughs> franchise, right? I've I've been on a history of talking about that. I think Vanessa is an exemplar of someone who needs that vocabulary. Like, she needs to be able to say to people, I'm not a a one-person kind of gal, and that's probably going to be me for life. Like, I don't see her chilling out on that front anytime soon. Um, But it's not – but she also gives poly people a bad name. (laughs) Like, I'm also – I've just, like, labeled her, but I also say she gives us a bad name because I'm – you know, she's she's deeply unethical about mm-hmm. it. And I also think that there's something super narcissistic about her behavior, like the way that she shows up in the conversations. And it's like, hey, why don't I tell you what's amazing about you and you tell me what's amazing about me? Like that moment, it sounds like it's like just a cheesy line, but it's also her fishing for, why don't you tell me how beautiful and amazing I am? Like that's how it comes off. And that's kind of how she talks to everybody. Not to mention basically going after a couple simultaneously. And you're kind of like, is she going after Ray because she's interested in Ray? Or is she going after Ray because she knows it's going to make Lexi like totally nuts? And it kind of comes off like maybe she's messing with them, including eventually like, I don't know, am I allowed to say spoilers? Like eventually like having sex with one of them, right? And the way that she talks about the sex the next the, day. That was oh one of the God. worst, most abhor- like abhorrent scenes in reality television, their conversation the next day. 
I think it's matched by the dinner argument. <laughs> like, I, I wish I could remember the exact words, but essentially Ray comes out to the breakfast table and Ray is very visibly upset and shaken, right? And Ray is like, are we going to, and, and Vanessa's acting all normal and Ray says, are we going to talk about what happened? And then Vanessa says something along the lines of, oh, you mean that I um, fingered you last night? And and it's really I didn't even think, I didn't get the affect right because it's so cold and not sexy, like the opposite of sexy, like deeply unsexy. Um, and it's clear that Ray is very upset about the implications this has for her relationship with Lexi. And Vanessa like does not give a fuck like at mm-hmm. all, like not even a little bit. There are two things. One, when Ray comes out to breakfast, this asshole Vanessa is like, here is some reject breakfast I made for myself. Here's this awful cauliflower and some other shit. And it's kind of gross, but you can have some in your want if you want. It's not like I made us breakfast and it didn't turn out great. She was like, I made myself something and it's gross, but you can have some if you want. That was the first part. Then as Ray is clearly going through things and as Chanda said, has said she talked to Lexi and she's really upset, that asshole's like, well, maybe we should make it better with a threesome. Oh, <laughs> what? God. I forgot about that. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. I forgot about that. It's like, oh, she should just back herself up into the bushes like Homer Simpson. It's like that is like one of the worst, most insensitive things I've seen, which is very different than how all of the other trial marriage couples are interacting. Like she is the mm-hmm. one who is not remotely trying. Did she name which fingers or is that just that came later? That came later. In their group conversation. That came later. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I didn't watch. I only watched the first three, so I didn't. I missed the whole fingering debacle. So yeah. I apologize for that. Um, this is. I do think you know because I'm assuming we're going to get into this at a certain point. I think monogamy makes mad men of us all. <laughs> I think that like watching her, I was like, you don't have to do any of this, but I don't know if she knows that. So I do believe she's acting absolutely crazy, like you said, a, a, a deep narcissism. But one that is driven by, like, her total misunderstanding of, like, she has other options. Like, she can't, it doesn't seem like she could understand that, like, you don't have to do this. You don't have to act like this. And in that way, that is why I will defend her being on the show is because you need to have a complete narcissist on a reality show. You need to have a complete monster on a reality show, at least at this point in 2023, in order to make it. it um, do you guys remember the original movie, uh, cat, cat that like, the origin of the term catfish? Yeah. Because it wasn't about being tricked. It was about uh, introducing a catfish into a tank of fish that keep the fish swimming so they stay alive. She's the actual catfish. Huh. So to me, a complete monster. I don't want to watch a show that doesn't have a monster. I really don't. Also, I'm as somebody who's politically against monogamy, the whole time I agree, like, she should be poly. A couple people on this show should be. But, like, to your point, it gives pe- poly people the, a bad name. But that's because those... Like, those behaviors are the behaviors you learn in monogamy. So it's like you have to unlearn those behaviors to not be crazy in polyamory or not monogamy. So I, not that I'm sympathetic, but it's sort of like you're just watching someone who, like, you want a producer to step in and be like, can I, like, talk to you for 45 minutes and then you can go home? Like, you don't have to be doing any of this. Because, <laughs> I don't know, to me, another, Hallie, again, you, this is just my feeling about it. do you think, though, Hallie, that she, Vanessa actually knows all of this. She knows all of this and she's here because she wants more Instagram followers, which is what makes it totally fine yes. for us to hate her. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, when she, I think it's the first one, she's like, you know, I'm actually, they don't know this. I'm an Instagram influencer. I'm like, you think they don't know that? <laughs> they think, you don't think that's why you're not here? 
So, yes, I, I, but I agree with everything you said. It is both that and also, you know, you got to mix it up. It can't always be about the dog, you know? <laughs> yeah. Totally. I mean, watching, watching all these conversations after the first episode, I was like, okay, this is reality TV, right? So everything needs to be taken with a grain of salt. You know, we can take social lessons, but it's also reality TV. And also the way that Netflix sources couples for shows like this is like, oh, borderline gray area ethical, kind of maybe unethical. Um, what I have read is that what they do is they have couples just blanket tryout for like any Netflix reality show. Oh, that's show. interesting. And they get selected to be on the ultimatum. Mm -hmm. So like the ultimatum is sort of like foisted upon them by producers. Of course, once they've been selected for the show, they can be like, no, we're not going to do this. But they choose to be on a show that maybe they maybe they weren't there in their relationship when they actually got to the show. Absolutely. And you know what? I realize as I'm talking about this, one of the things that I always have in the back of my mind is like I, I have friends who have written for reality shows. Like I... I have no people who have scripted these kinds of things because it's all fabricated. Depending on the show, it's different levels of it. But to me, it's sort of like you have to be a couple who's auditioning. You have to be the couple who agrees. You have to be the kind of person to be on it. Like to me, it's like by the time we're seeing it, it's it's the show. I don't know. Like it's like we, <laughs> yeah. we we're watching the show. You know. I mean, but you know, regardless. Like, I'm watching the show and I'm seeing these people communicate in a way that seems like mature, yeah. an adult, and, like, are women just better at this than men? Like, are, not inherent, are we, are we just, like, socialized so we're better at talking about our feelings and solving problems? I feel like if this was, if everyone on the show was 22, it would be a very different show. I feel like there are a lot of people who are slightly older on mm. the show. I also, I don't know, like, I feel like uh, queerness and being a woman allows for room to have more mature conversations, but perhaps Vanessa is the example of like that doesn't really it like or it, person to person it also doesn't really mean anything. I don't know. What do you guys take well, on that? I, I guess you know what I started to say earlier is that the the breakfast the disastrous breakfast finger conversation is matched on some level. And this is not in Vanessa's defense, but it's matched on some level by the dinner that happens later on where Lexi and Vanessa have an exchange about what has happened with Ray and about, about the sex. Oh, yeah. And Lexi, if I never have to hear Lexi say, you have been inside of or inside of the Ooh. person <laughs> ever again because she says it's <laughs> So many times. And it's not just the edit because it's different times every single yeah. time. Um, and so I, I you know, I, I will say as someone who has ranged in the the gender and sex identities of the the people that I've been in relationships with, I spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, these comparative things. And I I, I think you're right that um it doesn't matter on an individual level so much, but I do think that like kind of on a, a structural level. People who are assigned female at birth and who are socialized into womanhood or identify with womanhood in some way um, are more likely to be trained to be emotionally open. And I think that queerness also invites us to be emotionally open and to totally ignore the boundaries of heterosexuality because that's literally what queerness is, <laughs> is a total violation of those stupid boundaries, right? And, and so I do think that we're invited to be open, but... I, I do think that that dinner kind of challenges, like, uh, maybe there should be some boundaries. Like, maybe there's something we shouldn't say or do. 
<laughs> well, that that's like brings me to pretty organically to what I wanted to talk about, which is like this is these are queer couples that are existing in a world where it's possible for them to get married. And just, you know, several years ago, that wasn't an option available to queer people. And uh, Hallie, you're a baby gay, according yes. to our according to our <laughs> outline and your self-described. I guess I'm an elderly baby gay. <laughs> um, you know, I have very complicated feelings about gay marriage now that I'm on the other side of things. I feel like... Um, also, if you listen to this, please Google the concept compulsory heterosexuality. It was helpful for me. I, I think it's like one of those things where you see now with, for example, all the attacks on uh, trans people and on the LGBTQ um, community in general. I understand I understand sort of the political um, uh, goal of gay marriage to tie us to sort of the legal system and to tie us into the fabric of America. To me, my experience of being raised as a straight woman whose life is about getting married, and in that case to a man, but marriage as this inevitability that forms all of your romantic decisions was not good. So I think for me, I definitely, I obviously support all gay marriage. I hope to be gay married one day, but I do feel like watching this, like even the concept of the ultimatum, like the concept of that there is this inevitable step in a relationship shapes all of our relationships, whether or not you opt into it personally. So I feel like, to be fair, I came out, again, it's been around about a year, so I'm just like, I don't know, I feel like I'm at a point watching this, I'm like, you, as long as you guys know you don't have to do this, like, as long as everyone knows you don't actually have to do this, your relationship could be valid, it could be totally fine, you don't, like, if it's helpful to you, I support it, and I also understand the project of it, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I have complicated concept, uh, feelings about the concept in general. Chanda, you're nodding. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, so I guess I will say that I'm pro-gay marriage as as a concept because I'm pro having an institutional structure for divorce as a gay divorcee. <laughs> I'm, I actually, I, I think that that's the piece that actually people often don't think about, which is when you don't have a structure in place, when people part ways, I'm I, the the spouse who has less financially, um, or who maybe was stay at home has zero legal protection in terms of getting alimony and, and things like that. And that's one protection that the institution of marriage puts in place. There's lots to debate there about whether that's the right structure, et cetera. But I will say from my point of view, that's why it's important. That said, you know, at the time that the fight for gay marriage was happening, I was living in, I actually got gay married in Canada because it wasn't legal in the United States. And, and my, my spouse was, was Canadian and I was living there at the time. Um, and at the time I felt really strongly, like this is a right that we need because, um, she couldn't come to the United States with me. She couldn't get a visa, um, because our marriage wasn't recognized, but there was a big fight about it and that I didn't understand that I'm much more sympathetic to now. When you look back on the data of what queer people, like when grassroots queer people, like low income, poor, um, people who were unhoused, people who were on poverty, sex workers, when those people were surveyed and asked, what do you want? What do you need right now? marriage was not anywhere near the top of the list of their considerations. And it was really higher income, frankly, gay 
um, cis men who were pushing for this uh, version of inclusion in this traditional institution and who were doing it at the expense of, the, of these grassroots concerns about poverty, about racism, et cetera. And I think like when I was 24, because there are so many things when you're 24, 25, 26 that you don't understand, that I didn't, I was ensconced in my PhD program and I was very focused on, you know, becoming an astrophysicist and like, you know, getting married to this really hot woman. <laughs> and so I was like not really very concerned about, about those aspects of the debate. But in hindsight, as a 40-year-old now, I'm, I wish that people had paid attention to those concerns more because I do think it shapes the moment we're in now where trans people are in particular at very high risk um, for, for experiencing um, racialized, gendered, economic injustice, violence, et cetera. And those things were not attended to when people were asking. There was a focus on gay marriage instead. And you know, we can blame the Republicans, and we should, and evangelicals, and and all of the homophobic, transphobic, queerphobic people out there. But there, I do think, has to be some introspection on the part of people who didn't do the work twenty years ago. That now we're we're seeing the other end of that. Hmm. Hmm. Um, Hallie, I wonder for, for you, as somebody who recently came out. Um, as you're watching this show, does it make you like more excited about being a part of like the lesbian community? Or does oh it- hell yeah, <laughs> oh yeah! I do think there's something where it's like I because I feel like when I came out I was very nervous, but then I do feel like you just have to cross the path of like um, there is a level of not emotional mayhem, but I think like you said, like I do think like being a woman and being queer, it, the door is open to if you want to sort of think about relationships and sex in a different way. And I think because of that, um, you know, like the the, the U-Haul phenomenon among <laughs> lesbians, I think that truly That's is, real. and again, that is real. And it, it's real, <laughs> and it makes sense to me because, like, um, I feel like as a woman dating women, and to be fair, I was closeted, so that's like you know its own thing. But it's like, oh, um, I'm like oh, this. Is my first experience dating as truly as I am, and to date someone in that way. Uh, if you choose to do that, I'm sure there are plenty of people who are playing games. Um, it, it is just like emotionally much more intense and much more like requires of you, I think, a lot more conversation. But that being said, um, you just have to, I don't know, like there's there's um, straightness uh, is order, right? And to step outside of it is there's just a little bit more chaos, emotional chaos. And it, to me, I couldn't be happier about it because that's <laughs> more honest. Like that's honesty. Like to live... In this very controlled way, in this very, and not that every straight couple is like this, obviously, but like, I, you know, I was raised Catholic. I think there's the idea of like love or sex in a strict order and then outside of order is queerness. And to me, I could, I'm like, oh, what a relief. This is actually very complicated. Like, we do have to have all these conversations. Like, it doesn't have to be easy. Like, it, it can be, as long as you're being emotionally honest, it, th- like, you could have so much more. There is more room. So I, I I loved it. I was like the dog thing aside, <laughs> but even that I'm just like, yeah, let's argue about the dog sleeping in the bed. Like I love that shit. So I I loved it truly. So as as the resident academic, can I just name the 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 phrasing that you use? Yes, straightness as order. Straightness <laughs> as order was. I I just think that that's a super helpful framing for this particular moment. 
not just, I'm on a deep level, not just for understanding, like, why is this reality TV superior when it's queer, but also really just understanding how compulsory heterosexuality is at work and all of these things that are happening politically that the, there is an attempt to enforce an order on us. So I just want to, like, I want to give you props for that. I think that that's really, like, powerful. Well, thank you. You could give your credit to my therapist as well, (laughs) doing the hard work, earning every penny. Thank you, Sophie. Um, Let's pivot to talking a little bit. We talked about the villain, Vanessa. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there may be more villains because this this show really loves to sort of very slowly, like, flip its cards out, like, this person's a villain. Oh, and actually this person's a villain. Um, But there have been a couple people that seem to be the consensus heroes, favorites. Alyssa, who are those people on the girl tomatum, the gal tomatum, <laughs> and uh, and why do you think they are kind of emerging as the as the beloved fan? Okay, favorites? let's talk about my number one fave, Mal. I love Mal. Yes, mm-hmm. Mal. Okay, Mal's the best. Mal. Um, <laughs> Mal is the most uh, sensitive, open, understanding, empathetic person on this show. Like, also, I think the most attractive. So Mal to me is like a ten out of ten. Um, I also, honestly, I like myself some Lexi. She's kind of like Mm. the ingenue in a way. She's like young. She's very open-minded, I think. She's going through some hard stuff. And then uh, my last favorite is Xander. And I hope that Xander gets what they are looking for because they cannot end up back where they were. Like going back with Vanessa will be an absolute tragedy. So, and Xander... Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's something about Xander that reminds me of Tignataro, who I love a lot. And so, I don't know. I just, I really, I'm hoping for the best for Xander. Okay. Uh, Chanda, who are your, who are your faves and, and why? I have to say I was extraordinarily impressed with how Mal handled the yes. situation when Lexi found out about the finger incident <laughs> between <laughs> Ray and Vanessa. I'm... I I do. And Mal, I think, is like 37. So she's older than than Lexi. Like, she's got a good, like, decade and some change on on Lexi. And I do think that that kind of showed. And there was was an interesting dynamic there about generational differences existing within relationships, which I think is also a topic that um, looks very different in the queer community and even distinct between people potentially of different gender identities um, than it does in in heterosexual relationships of what those big age differences signal. Sometimes they signal the same things that we might read off of straight people, but like not always. So I was super impressed with with, um, Mal. Also, obviously, I'm rooting for Xander to get out of what I think is a, a relationship that's abusive for them. I... I'm I'm super rooting for Xander. I'm also rooting for Yoli for oh, yeah. for similar um, similar reasons, and so I'm kind of rooting for Xander and Yoli to walk away together. Even though I know that when couples walk away from these shows together, they then break up, <laughs> and it sucks. So like, <laughs> but that's my fairy tale ending. I think. <laughs> uh huh. Um, I'm gonna echo everyone and say Mal is my fave. I think that they're just amazing, stylish, cool, emotionally mature. Like they are both really empathetic and emotional, but at the same time have their emotions under control, which is like not the same thing as like subjugating your emotions. Like 
she expresses herself, but she also, you know, isn't like ruled by it, which is like really cool. And I kind of like look up to her like that. I I wish that I were were as in control of my emotions as as she is. <laughs> um, I gotta say, I you know this is, I like Tiff. I I, I like I, Tiff too. I know that. Tiff has some some challenges, I think, but I'm rooting for her. I really am. Um, Hallie, who are your faves? Um, I will say I do think I, oh, if I was on a reality show, I would be Tiff because I feel like they are immediately like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> like, they're immediately so upset. It's like, absolutely, because you don't know, like, you signed up for it, but I'm sure you don't know. And then you're like, I got to get my dog. It's got to sleep in bed with us. Like, I can't handle this, which I'm very sympathetic to. Um, yeah, I guess to me, it's like I the couples I care about and I think actually seem functional are Mal, Lexi, absolutely love. And then Xander and Yoli. And I will say this, if this show does something else, it will have broken up Xander and Vanessa, which I do think will have will be a cosmic win for the <laughs> franchise. Because as soon as Xander spoke to anybody else, like Xander has that shell-shocked, again, I don't want to use like gendered stereotypes, but like there's like about like just like a straight couple from high school and then like you just see the the man is like okay oh, sure whatever and i and i feel like there's something about xander's dynamic with vanessa which again makes you feel like you're re- trying to recreate this straight dynamic that like we're all raised around and to see xander that be able to have another dynamic and realize that like oh there's this whole other world in which i am not in a relationship with Vanessa, very exciting to see and very exciting for, for her. I, I I can't wait whether or not this relationship with Yoli works out. I don't know. But I was like, this I, this is can only be good. Thank God you both did this. And I'm sure it was Vanessa's idea. I'm sure it's Vanessa's idea that they're they mm. there. But that is the good thing that will come from this show. Yeah. Uh, well, on that note, we will have to come back in, with this panel to discuss the end of the series when it ends. Um, because it's like, fascinating i i'm yeah. like i'm gonna run home and i'm gonna wa- i've got a nanny today i'm gonna watch all of the tv <laughs> and i'm not gonna work and that's gonna be fun for me um and, and yeah it's it's a great show it's it's a lot it's super interesting and i'm really glad we are all able to have this conversation there'll be more to talk about as the show goes on i'm sure let's take a quick break when we come back a little bit of sanity corner slash i feel petty Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the friend of the pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. Hysteria is brought to you by Lumi. 
Want to smell better naked? Alyssa, did you know? Probably. Prob- I mean, Probably. I don't want to smell worse naked. Yeah. I guess given the option between smelling better or not smelling better, I would say better. Smell better. Smell better. Let's face it, our underarms aren't the only place we have odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi whole body deodorant for pits, privates, and beyond. Lumi was created by an OBGYN who discovered and proved in clinical testing that the vagina is not to blame for day-to-day odor below the belt. Of course it's not to blame. The vagina gets blamed for everything. Exactly. Free the vagina. Free it. Free the vagina. So she developed Lumi, a uniquely formulated pH-balanced deodorant. It's aluminum-free, skin-safe, and clinically proven to control odor for up to 72 hours. Special offer, new customers get $5 off Lumi's starter pack with code hysteria at lumideodorant.com. One thing I like about Lumi, it's summer, right? Yes. It's summer. Things are, you know, it gets hot. It gets uncomfortable. If you live in a city, you're taking public transportation. You might end up between leaving your house and getting to where you're going, you might end up stinkier than you yeah, had hoped. need a little refresh. Sometimes you just need a little refresh. A, a little refresh. And it's like, I don't want to carry a stick of, you know, like my regular deodorant in my purse. Have you ever accidentally right. had the cap come off and then your purse? Oh, yes. Long time ago, powder fresh scent everywhere. Yeah. It's like you have a powder fresh wallet, powder fresh chapstick. I don't need everything to be powder fresh. I really love the Lumi wipes because they're I do too. They're super portable. You can just toss them in your bag, go where you need to go. And if you get there and you're like, hmm, I'm smelling not so fresh, you can take care of it quickly, easily, no mess, no powdery contents of your bag or purse. Um, it's also great for camping. I think, you know, you're going camping in the summer. You don't yes. want to carry all that extra weight. You don't want to come back from camping uh, smelling offensive. This is a great way to, to prevent that from happening. And you know what? Do you know what I love it for, Erin? Sometimes no one's ever accused me of having a thigh gap. And so in the summer, you're hot, you're sweaty. Parts of your body start rubbing together. So I just use a little loomy, little loomy so I don't get chapped. Oh, amazing. Well, Mm -hmm. you you know that you can use it everywhere because it was created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how normal BO was being misdiagnosed, mistreated, and Lumi can block odor all day and control odor for up to 72 hours. That is, it's a long, I mean, look, 72 hours, you should be able to find a shower in 72 hours, right? If you need to to nip it in the bud. Uh, It is aluminum-free, baking soda-free, and paraben-free. It's pH balanced for safe use below the belt. You can also choose from a variety of fresh, bright scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, or toasted coconut. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream, tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like mini body wash and deodorant wipes, which I mentioned and love, Mm -hmm. and free shipping. As a special offer for our listeners, new customers get $5 $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code hysteria at lumideodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit lumideodorant and use code hysteria. And welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria, a podcast for Jeremy Strong apologists. Mm-hmm. And we have almost, <laughs> oh, Chanda doesn't really agree. <laughs> Not a Jeremy Strong apologist over there. I just think that's like a really bold statement. <laughs> I'm not anti-Jeremy Strong. 
just bold on your heart. <laughs> I, I think Jeremy Strong is a luminary. I think that he's a great, oh, okay. great actor. And uh, I just to, to get a sense of how good of an actor he is, rewatch The Big Short. Well, don't watch the whole Ugh, movie. I hated The Big Short. <laughs> Ooh. I didn't love it because I had like gotten my Series 7 and I already worked in finance. And I was like, oh, these we need to teach people all of these things. We are fucked. We should already know all the things in The Big Short. <laughs> anyway, um, but Jeremy Strong in The Big Short, legitimately sexy. Lit, not pathetic in any way, shape, or form. He's like cool and hot in that movie. And if he could, he could go from playing that actor <laughs> or that character to playing Ken Roy and all of his multifaceted patheticness. Like that's that's acting, man. I think I'm too gay for for Jeremy Strong. I think you've just convinced oh. me that I'm too gay for him. <laughs> I love. I appreciate the commitment. See, that to me is like that. That is what seems queer about him. It's like I drank that milkshake or whatever the fuck it was, and I was like, <laughs> man, okay. Like, so there's like about it where I get that. I'm like, well, he's dedicated to his craft, and um, I appreciate that. <laughs> I wish everybody could see Fiona over here, just completely. Tom Cruise on the couching about Jeremy Strong. Um, that's a reference about Oprah, Oprah Winfrey's show uh, for old people. Um, I'm okay, not that old. Let's get I'm in. not that old. Not, well, I mean, I remember it. I think I was homesick from school you that probably day. probably where I was working on Wall Street. Oh, it's okay. Very cool. It's okay. Um, okay, let's get to Sanity Corner slash I Feel Petty. Alyssa, do you want to kick us off? Yes. Okay, so mine is like an I Feel Petty slash Cry for Help. So uh, we had a very warm winter here in the Northeast, which means the ticks didn't die. And the ticks are everywhere. Now, here's the problem. I live in the middle of nowhere, but not in the middle of the woods. I should not be having a tick problem when I head to the mailbox. But here's the issue. And this is my cry for help. I need a much better razor than I have because I got a new another razor and it's fucking terrible and I shaved my legs and I cut them up and now I think there are ticks all over me in the middle of the night because my legs itch mm. because they're cut up. Mm. And also I've had ticks on me so it's not a completely crazy idea. So our listeners have always come through for me when I've sent out the bath signal. So I am asking... For no, Carol, Caroline's texting me that I should laser. I'm not committing that amount of money. No, to I was going to say, I'm actually. What? I'm starting laser, but only because as I uh, approach um, perimenopause, I'm growing what I would describe as a Robin Williams level of body hair. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't do it. I need to have a professional get so, in there. So Kelly, I'm actually on Caroline's side to- with this. Okay, so that's kind of my problem. And uh, I'm probably more Perry than you are, but it's like a thing. I need a new razor. So hysteria. Hysteria fans, please send me something that's going to be smooth and luxurious and is not going to have a handle that gets slippery in the shower, so I drop it. Anyway, that is that is what is on my mind right now. Right now. Uh, ticks. Oh, my God. I drew, grew up in tick country, yeah. right? I think my brother got Ly- my brother got Lyme disease. It was very oh, common. God. Lots of people yeah. have Lyme disease. It's very common. Um, but my dad was one of six boys when he was like a, a child and, you know, boys are gross and the more of them are that are together and small and unsupervised in the country, the grosser shit they get into. They used to run through the field and have contests to see who could pick up the most wood ticks. <laughs> yeah. 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 Boy. I don't oh. even understand that. It's, That's insane. You just like run through like 
Like, are they big or are they like little tiny? So deer ticks, deer ticks Ugh. or bear ticks are like the little ones that yeah. spread lime. Oh, okay. Wood ticks are the ones that are like the size of like a, a little bit smaller than a pencil eraser. So they're like much easier to spot. Aren't those die. also yeah, dog it's ticks? horrible. Right? The dog yeah, ticks. I mean, the, they call them different things in different parts of the, the country. The dog tick was I, in sure. my hair. Thank God I let my hair go white because we found it quite easily. <laughs> Oh, that's awful. Yeah. Um, and also, like, we grew up, we had dogs, and I we used to have to, like, check the dogs mm-hmm. for ticks. And when we were on vacation recently up to uh, up northern California, up in Mendocino, our dog picked up a couple ticks. And my husband made me look for the ticks on the dog <laughs> because I know how to do it. It was disgusting. Did I'm never going ticks. outside again. You guys have just yeah. Totally yeah this is... I'm never leaving this room. <laughs> 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 no, you have your reunion coming up, and you got your hair cut, so you'd look better than everyone else. You've got to go. Check yourself for ticks and get your ass down there. <laughs> get to Harvard. They need you. They need you there. Um, okay. Uh, Dr. Chanda, tell us what uh, you're feeling petty about or what is your sanity corner? I mean, I think you sort of, you took some of it, right? Because I am going to my college reunion this weekend. Um, so I guess this is like a little bit of like a Sandy Petty, t- like together. Um, so when I was in college, this may shock you all, but when I was in college, as as I write about in The Disordered Cosmos, I was sort of treated by people like I was the village idiot. And um, so... <laughs> I really was. It was like, it was a very, very hard four years. And um, so when I went to my 10-year reunion, one of my classmates from, who also did physics major with me, came up to me and was like, so what are you doing now? And I was like, well, I'm a named fellow at MIT. And he was like, oh, you stuck with that physics thing? That's very surprising. Like really, oh, like, boy. people are still doing this oh, 10, 10 years later. Um, Jesus. So I have been through a lot of therapy to like deal with this. And every year, every time there's a reunion, Harvard does these like red books where people can uh, basically write an essay about how great their life is, telling people what they what they do, what their spouse does, where their spouse got all of their degrees, the names of the obnoxious names they've given their children and all of these <laughs> things. And it used to be for me, I would be like, oh, I really have to show that like I'm making it and that I've overcome and that their impression of me was wrong. And this time around, I just put quotes from books that I thought were really interesting. Um, And then I was asked to be on a panel at the reunion this weekend. And I was like, no, I don't need that. So I feel like this is both my sanity and my petty, which is like, fuck you guys. Like I made it. I'm doing good. I wrote an award-winning book and I didn't even need to tell you guys about it. So I'm feeling sane because of that. I'm feeling a little bit petty about it, too. Uh, Hashtag growth. Hashtag growth. Um, My 25-year reunion will be next year. What year? Because we both went to Notre Dame, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, five. I'm a year after you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you go to your tenure? No, 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 no. Absolutely not. I don't want to see most of those people. Um, But I do want to see them now because I feel (laughs) like I've aged well. And uh, it'll, it'll be fun. And also, I feel like it's it is fun to go throw back in their face. Yeah. I did go to my tenure, but just because I had friends that were going, so it was like a place to meet up. And I will say, what was nice is that everyone I spoke to was like, "That's so cool! You get to write and like do whatever." I'm like, "What do you do?" It's like I'm an ER doctor. And I'm like, "Well, that's important." It's like, "Yeah, but it's not fun." And I was like, "You're right. There's something fun. We at least have fun in our career." Everyone I talked to is like. Yeah, I'm a corporate lawyer. It's like, of course. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Uh, where? Wait, what, what dorm did you live in? I was in Welsh Fam. What? What about you? I was in BP, Breen Phillips. That's so funny. Oh my god. Well, you probably knew Carla Bell then. Yes, absolutely. One of my yes. best. One of my besties. Anyway, we can talk mm-hmm. more about this offline. Great. Um, <laughs> shout out to Carla who listens. Um, 
All right. Uh, Hallie, what are you feeling sane or petty about? Well, so I, I just have something petty, and I, I think everyone has seen this. I mean, if you're not online, you know, I'll sort of describe it. So we've sort of reached the dregs of what the usefulness of, like, AI visuals are. And there's a this week, I don't know why someone thought this was in any way interesting or compelling, but someone's like, wow, I used AI to um, sort of show you what's beyond the limits. So the example was like Mona Lisa. And it's like, look, I filled in Mona Lisa. And so it's basically just Mona Lisa, but then there's more background. And I was like, With oh, no you legs. guys realize. Wait, say it again. With no legs. She still Oh, she got no to- legs. Yes. Right. So it's like you've asked a computer to fill out a human being, but it, the computer's like, I don't know what's below the waist and that's none <laughs> of my business, but here's some trees, here's some more mountains. And I was like, I hope that you, you're someone who has put money into this or think this is going to be anything. Please know this is the end. It's over. We all see how dumb that is. No one needs that. Oh, I see a painting and then there's more. Okay. Well, we already saw the painting. Like, what are you talking about? And to me, I was just so enraged to be like, someone has spent their time and talent to develop this. And I want you to know if you're that person, it's not too late to pivot and use your skills for something else (laughs) that isn't the dumbest shit I've ever fucking seen in my life. It sucks. So that was my thing. Go online and look. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. We were like, all right, I guess that's a human life. You spent your time doing this. I don't know. Oh uh, yeah, fuck AI. Um, you know what? I am gonna I'm gonna throw a little bit of a curveball. I there was some Leslie Van Houten news this week mm-hmm. that I'm feeling uh, keyed up about. But we do have a Leslie Van Houten expert in residence. Stan, I might say, and that's fervent our, okay. defender. Apparently, I wanted to yield my time to our producer Caroline Reston yes. to talk about Leslie Van Houten, member of Girl the Manson boss, family, Leslie Van Houten, Girl boss. <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, Finally about to win parole after many, many years in prison. Um, So this has been a saga. She was uh, a member of the Manson family. Didn't do all the, like, really, really, really bad stuff that the Manson But I would like to hear Caroline talk about what she did do, which I think is helpful to know. So we're going to have Caroline do Sanity Corner slash I Feel Petty, but Leslie Van Houten edition. Caroline... Take it away. I'm worried I'm going to get majorly canceled for this. <laughs> You're standing up for a girl boss who needs to have somebody in her corner. Go ahead. Justice for Leslie Van Houten. Listen, she was a part of the Manson family. Okay. She did commit and conspire to commit horrible atrocities. And? Okay. I love all the disclaimers, okay. Leslie, Caroline. Say what you're going to say. Is that so wrong? No, go ahead. <laughs> Leslie Van Houten, if you've done your reading, was 19 years old, one of the youngest Manson members. She is the longest serving inmate in California. She was, by all research, the least attached to the Manson family. She was there mostly because she was the girlfriend, I think, of Bobby Beausoleil. She had the least attachment to Manson, but she still lived in this very isolated commune, very, you know, detached from life, really believing what was going on. She was forced to go the second night of the murder. That was the Tate LaBianca. That was the LaBianca murder. The LaBianca okay. murder. Okay. Yeah, so she went that second night. She, in her account, saying she was uh, not, you know, not really wanting to be there, but was forced to get her hands dirty. So once everyone was murdered, she was forced and convinced to get her hands dirty and stab uh, Rosemary LaBianca post-mortem. So after she died, she stabbed her 
10 times, which again is incredibly savage. I'm not it's saying just a lot of times. Person. It's quite a number of times. Yeah, but at this point, so her whole saga is quite different than the other women. She was only, uh, she was, um, she was uh, convicted of two counts of murder and I think seven counts of conspiracy. She was kind of lumped in with everyone else, even though she was only really a part of the second night. Secondly, she later got a mistrial. She had like two more trials after the initial trial because her involvement was a little more murky because she technically didn't murder anyone, yet she was a part of the larger conspiracy. Flash forward to now, this woman has been the longest serving inmate, female inmate in California. She's been there since she's 19 years old. She has been paroled by the California board over five times. And California law says if you are no longer a danger to society, you should be paroled. She's been paroled five times, and every single time, the governor has vetoed it. Look, this annoys me because the only reason she's still in prison is because of of some fucking man. Charles Manson and his notoriety is the only reason why this woman is in prison. Still, if she was any other woman who did what she did, they would, she, they would be out. So I think it's really unfair at this point for this woman who has served her debt to society, who has a much more precarious involvement in the family, is still in prison when I, just, I think she deserves to be free, live out her the last five years of her life. She's done so much rehabilitation. She is a model inmate. She's clearly not a danger to society. It's just, it's, I just think she should be free, so... Justice for Leslie Van Houten. So Leslie also was free for a period of time. She yes, was in the she, 70s. she was released in the 70s and she lived in Echo Park, worked, Ooh, okay. worked in a law office, attended the Oscars, did not do anything like no, no didn't stab anyone no even one stabbing, time. Not not no dead or alive. Mm-hmm. No stabbing of Which anybody. Which I think is a good sign. <laughs> I will say my my ex uh Dave uh did tech he texted me yesterday and said, you know, is it would you would you be open to being set up with a woman? And I was like, sure. And then he, he sent me the CNN article about <laughs> Leslie Van Houten's potential parole. <laughs> so if she does get out, Leslie, I am single and I am I am open to a lot. So you just let me know if you live in, especially if you live in Echo Park. That's just minutes down the sunset. So <laughs> I'm sorry to tell you, she is straight. I mean, maybe prison has changed her, but yeah, well, I mean, you know, <laughs> life changes. People. Life changes us all. Yeah, you know we, what I mean? We, we go through different hormonal phases and exactly. Medical- Science doesn't even understand it. So, you know. Can I say one thing? I understand what I'm saying is sort of unhinged. But (laughs) I have a lot of empathy in my heart. And I don't know if the rest of the world does. (laughs) No, I think it's Um, completely reasonable to be like somebody who has been in prison for 50 years. At what point? Like, what is the point of prison? Yeah, what is... Exactly. At this point, what, Why, it, what, what, what is, is the point of it? Yes. I think that's totally Caroline, reasonable. Caroline, I'm with you. I just really enjoy looking skeptical as you talk about how the stabs were just post-mortem. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. is it... I would say post-mortem. 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 No, you're post-mortem. You're saying, you're saying well, it right. You know what? That's a difference, okay? <laughs> I know. I'm just someone saying. Dying and someone watching <laughs> the passion with I mean, which you say it is... It's... I'm here for it. Look, my brother is a public defender. He recently defended a murder case where the victim was dismembered, and my brother's defense was that it was in self-defense. Uh, yeah, the dismemberment, the legal didn't... system, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, well, I mean, he was a piece of public defender. He pan- oh, absolutely, the, the guy, absolutely. The, the, the murderer panicked. Um, 
But yeah, you know, whatever. It was post-mortem. Yeah, agreed. Uh, but yeah, if Leslie could wait until I'm dead to get to stab me, that would be great. If she could wait until if we date, if I'm, if I'm dead later, she can go absolutely buck wild. That's totally fine. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, I'm glad we established that. Yeah. Can I just add, as someone who grew up under California's three strikes law, that I think that this case actually exemplifies exactly what's wrong with the punitive approach to um, moral and physical transgressions in society. I mean, she's really at this point, it starts to look like torture, right? And she's, she will probably, um, I, I think she has a better chance of getting out actually because people are talking about it, right? Like she's the one who gets talked about in hysteria, right? There's so mm. many people mm-hmm. who are incarcerated na- right now. Um, and it punishes not just the person, but in most cases it punishes their entire family when people are incarcerated. So I feel mm-hmm. like this is a really good example of why people are talking so much about abolition right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to bring it full circle, during our news segment, we talked about Minnesota uh, legalizing recreational marijuana for adults. Part of that bill that just passed in Minnesota expunges the records of people with low-level marijuana convictions, which post-mortem is like— Post-mortem stabbings, too. Yeah, po- well, po- <laughs> and po- not post-mortem stabbings. That is still not legal. Um, but keep one up, day, Caroline. Keep up the good fight, Caroline, uh, and you will, you will legalize, legalize it, says Caroline Reston. <laughs> legalize post-mortem stabbings. <laughs> All right. That is all the time we have for this episode of Hysteria. Thank you to Samantha B., Hallie Kiefer, Dr. Chanda Prescott-Weinstein, Caroline Reston coming in at the very end. Alyssa Mastromonaco, thank you as always for being my ride or die. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in this week, and there will be more Hysteria for you next week. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Reston is our senior producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. And Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer. Fiona Pestana is our associate producer. The show is engineered and edited by Jordan Cantor. Our video producers are Rachel Gajewski and Megan Patzel. Thank you to Gabrielle Leverett-Diaz, Ewa Okulate, Amelia Montooth, Adia Hill, and David Tolls for production support every week. Don't forget to follow us at Crooked Media on Instagram and Twitter for more original content, host takeovers, and other community events. We've been told not to talk about politics our whole life, but politics affects every part of our lives from how fast we can drive to what we can do with our own bodies. Every week, the Politics Girl podcast, hosted by Lee McGowan, takes a deep dive into the most pressing issues facing the country in a way we can all understand. No fancy talk, no big words, just the same common sense tone she uses in her award-winning Breakfast Rants. This is a podcast about America's potential, where one passionate and slightly mouthy immigrant motivates her country to live up to its brochure. You'll leave feeling more knowledgeable, more engaged, and more confident that you understand what's really going on. Tune in for new episodes every Tuesday, wherever you get your pods. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 